Hello, welcome to this episode of Pensions Cast. Today, we are going to be talking about journey plans. Every pension scheme needs one. And in fact, there is regulation coming down the track that means that pension scheme trustees and sponsors have to have one. At the same time, there has been loads of innovation around supporting people who run pension schemes with coming up with better journey plans. We're going to be trying to make sense of all of that in this episode. I'm your host, Raj Modi, and I'm a pensions partner at PwC. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues from the pensions team, Swapnil Katkar, who is PwC's head of pensions risk transfer, and Matt Cooper, an actuary who leads our advice to clients in the new world of third-party backed journey plans. We'll be looking at what that means as well. In fact, Matt, let me come straight to you to start us off with some definitions. Let's start with the basic one. What do we mean by a journey plan? Okay, well, like most journeys, you need an end destination and to know what that is at the start of the journey. My view when it comes to pension schemes is that the end destination is the place where members are going to expect to receive their pension benefits in full. Now, this could be a variety of places. It could be running the pension scheme on until it's sufficiently well funded so it can pay members all their benefits. It could be getting the pension scheme to a place where it can afford to pass the responsibility to paying benefits over to an insurance company. And, and we commonly refer to that as an insurance buyout. And there are other solutions such as DB super funds that sit in between. So that's an end destination. But today we're talking about the journey to the end destination, or as we define it, the journey plan. So in answer to your question, Raj, I like to think of a journey plan as a strategy that A, gets you to your end destination, i.e. maximizes the chance of members getting their pension benefits, and B, does this in a cost-effective way. Well, that's really helpful, Matt. So what you're saying is the journey plan effectively is just the plan to get you to your destination, but you need to define your destination in order to define the strategy to get you there. Let's just come up with a specific example to try and bring that to life a little bit more. So take buyout, insurance buyout, as you mentioned. Now we know that that's not for everybody. It's certainly not going to happen for every single defined benefit pension scheme out there. But if buyout was your target, if buyout was your destination, what would a journey plan look like in that scenario? Yes, so that's a really good example because lots of pension schemes are targeting insurance buyout as their, their, sort of their destination. And I think that the journey plan is made up of five key levers and we'll maybe just walk through those now. So the first key lever is cash. How much new money does the pension scheme expect to receive? The second key lever is investment return. 
how much will investment return contribute over the journey plan? Or how much will it not contribute? And linked to this is the third lever, risk. And really what happens if we don't get that investment return we're planning for? Or if other factors change the cost of insurance buyout? Um, a key one being that life expectancies increase. The next key lever is time. How long have we got or how long will it take to get to this end destination? And finally, covenant. How much or how little funding could there be in the future? And importantly, what is the implication if the covenant is no longer there before buyout is reached? So that's really helpful. Again, Matt, you've talked about those as five levers. I think equally, you could think of those as the five features that any journey plan needs to be explicit about and needs to have clarity on to make sure that it's a well-defined journey plan and that it works. That's really helpful. Swapnil, I'd like to bring you in because we wanted to spend some time looking at recent market innovations. I think it's fair to say historically, a lot of the burden has been on the people that run pension schemes, the trustees and the company sponsors to work out their own destination and to define and implement their own journey plan. But perhaps unsurprisingly, the market, the investment industry and the pensions industry has realized that and there've been a raft of new ideas, new innovations that are designed to help trustees. Can you make sense of some of those? Yeah, that's a good point, Raj, and, and, and makes a lot of sense. We are seeing a significant innovation in this space uh, with number of new solutions coming to the market. As you pointed out, the traditional approach has always been where trustee take the responsibility for delivering this journey plan, which means with the help of their advisors, they will decide what is an asset allocation, where the asset managers, who are managing the assets, and also decide ongoing changes to these assets. Thus, the trustee take a day-to-day -day responsibility of implementing as well as monitoring the journey plans as, as they progress. Now, this approach has a lot of flexibility, but it also means it brings substantial governance burden on the trustees uh, in terms of managing all these various levers which Matt just mentioned. Where we are seeing some ongoing innovation in these spaces where the pension schemes and their trustees could let the external parties manage these day-to-day -day responsibilities while retaining an overall control and oversight uh, on their journey plans and how they're progressing. So let's just delve into that a bit more. I think what you're talking about there, this concept of outsourcing management of the assets, there's various labels for that in the pensions industry and listeners might be familiar with some. Some people call it fiduciary management, um, others call it OCIO or Outsourced Chief Investment Officer. Uh, the whole idea though in either of those terms is that the person you give or the firm you give that responsibility to has really substantial discretion in terms of what they do with your assets. And the idea is that that reduces a burden on trustees who may be less experienced or just less expert with some of the latest market innovations. The thing I'd like to ask you, Swapnil, is this concept of fiduciary management 
or whatever you call it, that's been around for a while now. So what is different recently? Why is it that people who run pension schemes should be looking that looking at that topic again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as you said, there are a number of new solutions in the market. And, and with that, the concept of fiduciary management is also evolving. Um, fiduciary management, if you if you if you look at now, is responsible close to 200 billion of assets under management, you know, which is around 10% of the UK DB pension assets. Uh, and historically, uh, fiduciary management has focused on what we call liability-driven investing (LDI), where the the main attention was to manage and hedge interest rate and inflation risks. However, the fiduciary managers have and continue to adopt and improve their offering in line with the concept of journey plans and how the trustees are approaching these journey plans. An example of is that where nowadays when the fiduciary management uh, is, is sort of embarked upon and manager is appointed, the trustees and the fiduciary manager will sit together and, and review the journey plan and including agreeing how the asset portfolio needs to be evolved and managed over a period of time to achieve the ultimate goal under the journey plan. Right, so historically, and until actually quite recently, the offering from fiduciary managers was quite plain and simple, but now it's broadened out and expanded into dealing with the variety of journey plans that trustees of pension schemes need to have. And then the offering available from those fiduciary managers has been upgraded to, to deal with that. Plus, it sounds like there's a closer involvement, what used to be perhaps more of an arm's length instruction. It's now more uh, intimate in terms of the, all the parties being at the table running that plan. So I can see why that's changed. And your point about it now being 10% of the market is interesting. It certainly wasn't that size in terms of coverage until quite recently, but that looks like it's a rapidly growing area. So what type of schemes, what characteristics of schemes would make them relevant to look at fiduciary management? And then let's turn to some of the other solutions, but just that final question to you, Swapnil. Yeah, sure. I mean, there is a there is a broad range of pension scheme who have utilized and adopted you know, fiduciary management for, for several reasons. However, if you can ask for a typical scheme or the schemes where this is most suitable, uh, typically uh, a medium-sized scheme, which is ranged from a few hundred million in, in assets to say four or five billion pound in, in assets is where fiduciary management has mostly been used. However, starting uh, with this, some of the changes we're seeing in the market, we're now seeing even larger schemes, larger than 5 billion in size, are now also increasingly looking to utilize fiduciary management. Sure, yeah. And there were a couple of very large examples just in the last few months uh, of schemes north of 10 billion looking at fiduciary management structures and the advantages it could bring to them. So that's definitely an area to watch. Thanks for that for now. Matt, I want to come back to you because Swapnil's covered that area, which maybe some listeners will be familiar with. I suspect that a less familiar area is this concept of so-called guaranteed journey plans, or sometimes people talk about them as capital-backed journey plans. This is the idea where you've got some other third party providing their own capital to somehow support the journey plan. So you started off by defining what a journey plan was. Can I come back to you now, Matt, to define what exactly is a guaranteed journey plan or a capital-backed journey plan? How do they work? Okay, of course. And firstly, 
I just think this is an incredibly exciting and interesting space of innovation in pensions right now. So at a very high level, guaranteed journey plans work as follows. So the trustees agree to an investment strategy upfront and pass the management of the scheme's assets to the third party. The third party, as you say, then puts up more money, i.e. their own capital, alongside the scheme's assets at that point when they start to take control of the new investment strategy. As part of doing this, the trust, the third party promises a level of investment return to the pension scheme, or goes even further and promises that the scheme will be fully funded on some pre-agreed target. That could look like an agreement whereby you know, the third party is guaranteeing the scheme to be fully funded on buyout in, say, 10 years. But what's in it for the third party? Well, they're effectively trying to beat the promise that they've made to the pension scheme. If they can outperform the investment return they have promised, the third party gets to keep the upside. And that's the upside on their own capital, but also the upside on the pension scheme assets. However, we need to ensure that the capital being put up is adequate to underwrite any downside. Finally, I think it's really important to highlight that these solutions don't change the existing trustees or the sponsor. The pension scheme covenant stays in place throughout the guaranteed journey plan. So Matt, that's all very well. And I have to say, I was having to hold myself back from jumping in as you were explaining that because of this point. I think anyone who's been in the pensions industry for any length of time will probably have lots of red flags going off in their minds when anyone talks about the concept of a promise or guarantee. And that seemed to be a major feature of what you've described. So I'm going to be skeptical for a moment and push you on this point. It sounds too good to be true. Tell us more about how a guarantee or promise could possibly work given the experience that those who are long in the tooth will have of situations where that kind of concept goes badly wrong in the pensions industry. Yes, and of course, Raj, you're absolutely right. It's not a guarantee per se, as you do have the risk that the third party gets it wrong. However, when structuring these solutions, you would look at them such that the pre-agreed outcome that you're agreeing to is delivered with a very high degree of certainty. And that comes down to the adequacy of the capital buffer being set. The other key piece here is that the capital buffer needs to be structured in such a way that if things do go wrong, then that capital becomes the property of the pension scheme and does not go back to the third party investor. Okay, so it sounds like there are some protections in place. Uh, perhaps I'm not the only one to be right to be skeptical about the use of the word guarantee. It's not necessarily a cast iron guarantee, but that shorthand label is used to describe the concept. Certainly, I'd want to be careful if I was talking about that concept and the words I use. But I think we get the gist of it enough for now. It does sound like there's more 
due diligence involved from everyone involved to go forward with these kinds of solutions. But I'll ask the same question to you, Matt, as I asked Swapnil earlier for fiduciary management. What type of schemes might benefit from this kind of, let's call it capital-backed journey plan? So I think these solutions are going to be far more bespoke to specific pension scheme circumstances. And they only make sense if they are better than other journey plans when you're doing a comparison. So the two key areas I would look at are A, does this solution enhance the chance of members getting their benefits in full? And B, is it more cost efficient than alternatives? An example where I could see this working is where a pension scheme has adopted a low risk investment strategy. In this case, adopting one of these solutions could benefit the scheme by allowing it to target greater expected investment returns and hence allow the pension scheme to reach full funding on a buyout measure, either in a shorter time horizon or with a higher probability of success. This could be attractive where trustees have confidence in the covenant today, but less confidence as to how the covenant will be in the future. So you've come at describing the types of schemes with different dimensions, actually, and a different axis to how we were looking at fiduciary management, which to some extent felt to be a little bit more size driven, your criteria are different. So that's interesting because it does mean that there'll be schemes out in the market that want to look at a range of options and it's not at all just universal that certain schemes have to go down one route that does definitely make the picture very interesting for the standard the more standard solutions and the more bespoke ones so swap nil let me bring you back in taking a look at putting all of that together there are about two trillion pounds worth of uk defined benefit pension liabilities out there when you put together everything that we've talked about do you have a feel for how much of that two trillion will eventually end up in the kinds of different solutions we've talked about the fiduciary management some of these third party journey plans there's obviously buy-in buy-out insurance as well and indeed other solutions there'll be schemes that just run on of their own accord is it possible to break down um, how the market's going to divide up across those solutions? Yeah, sure, Raj. Uh, I, I like I like to say it is possible to 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 predict that, but it's a very hard thing to predict as these liabilities continue to change, market solutions continue to change, and as a result, the journey plans continue to change. So, but overall, there is a rule of thumb that we can utilize, and then everybody can little bit come out some ballpark answers as how to be, how these liabilities could be split in terms of these various solutions if you look at the size of the db db market of two trillion there are a number of very large schemes who make a, a good proportion of this liability and many of for many of those schemes fiduciary management could be a right solution so they can self-invest or they can utilize fiduciary management and in the process achieve their journey plan, whether it is self-sufficiency or buy-in or a buyout. But then there is another large proportion um, schemes which are few hundred million to handful of billion in size, 
um, where the guaranteed journey plans, as Matt mentioned earlier, those could be more suitable solution where um, they can achieve the right objectives over, over the long long term. And, and many of those solutions, as we pointed out, effectively are built to provide the bridge to eventually buy-ins and buy-outs for this scheme. So again, depending on the journey at various points in time, you could be looking at guaranteed journey plans, which itself would then become full buy-ins and buy-outs. But overall, what we think is that in the context of the overall liabilities, uh, sizable risk could be managed as a combination of fiduciary management and guaranteed journey plans. Right, that's really clear in some ways, as much as it can be clear. I think the point you're making there is that it's too dynamic an area to lock down and predict in advance. And in fact, if anything, there'll be situations where some schemes are using a whole suite of the ideas that we've talked about across different stages of their maturity and their journey plan. So thank you for that. So final question back to you, Swapnil, in that case. If you're listening to this now and at whatever stage of journey plan you might be for your pension scheme, what would you advise the listener to think about today? Yeah, I'd like to make a couple of um, important observations, Roger. As, as Matt very well pointed out at the start of our discussion, that it is important that the purpose of the journey plans and variety of the solutions to support this journey plan is to make sure that member benefits are secured and get paid, and that is delivered in cost-effective manner as far as possible. So as such, given the range of you know, solutions available, including fiduciary management and guaranteed journey plan, I think it is important that the trustee and the corporate sponsors familiarize themselves with a full range of options that are available in the market to support their journey plans. And even where the pension plan has an existing journey plan in place, it might be worth considering if it needs further navigating given ongoing developments in the market. And that's the key point, isn't it? That there've been loads of innovations lately, plus, as you said earlier, pension scheme circumstances are changing all the time. So wherever you thought you had got to, you might want to refresh your analysis. Thank you both Matt and Swapnil for that really good discussion. This brings us to the end of this episode. However, there is more if you'd like to know more about this topic. If you are listening before the 31st of March, you can join our live event on that day. It's a virtual event. We call it the Virtual Ideas Exchange. You can find out more about that via our website, pvc.co.uk, and search for Virtual Ideas Exchange. And we'll put details in the notes to this episode. If you're listening after that date, don't worry, you can get on-demand versions of that event and in fact all of our virtual ideas exchange events once again just go to the website and search for virtual ideas exchange you have been listening to pensions cast thank you for joining us goodbye for now